I took uh, Ajahn Dan yesterday, our new Thai monk, for a wee paddle on Pike Lake. And Russ, Russ has a cottage nearby, so he invited us. So it's within walking distance. And uh, so we're out in the water, and it's really beautiful. Uh, weather's perfect. And then we decided to, uh, I decided to show them the bay where our stream exits into Pike Lake. So we went into the bay by Andy's place down there, and all the way into the reeds, and then turned around and came back. And unfortunately, we picked up half of the deer fly in Tay Valley. <laughs> it was awful. So from a... <laughs> this pleasant, open, spacious canoe ride, all of a sudden we're in a war zone. So we're paddling out, and as we got further out, most of the friendly fellows went back to their home habitat, but some, quite a few stayed, and I was in the back, and Ajahn Dung was in the front, and they kept biting his, so the soles of his feet, and I kept poking his feet with my paddle, get rid of the deer fly. Of course, in the meantime, my soles of my feet were getting bitten, and I've got, I've got some rashes on my feet so I don't feel the bites. At the end of the, the canoe ride, of course, my feet were swollen, itching, and then we walked walk back, and we, we paddled all the way to Denny's, which is, which is a, a nice, nice long paddle. We're out there for a couple of hours. And then Ajahn Dham was saying how high the sky is. You know how high the sky is. He said, so blue. He kept saying, blue, blue. And then I finally, with my broken tie, figured out that in Thailand they have a lot of cloud cover, a lot of smog. He's from Bangkok. So he really hasn't seen much blue sky. So the sky for him is always a low, kind of heavy thing. And he kept saying, blue sky. It was nice just to see how he was interpreting that scene. So then we got back to Rasa's and then we walked through the forest, about 15 minutes back to the monastery. And again, the deer flies were on us. And like clouds of them, I, I, I looked at him, there's clouds around him. He didn't have a hat. He had a hat in the boat ride, but gave it back to Russ. So by the time I got back to the monastery, uh, I was fed up with deer flies. And then in the morning I woke up and my feet was kind of swollen and very, very itchy, which reinforced the memory. So, what's all this got to do with anything? Um, so then this afternoon I was looking out from the window of my room onto the uh, lovely garden that I have. And we have a lot of new trees. And because they're new trees, I try to water them every other day or such like. And I looked out there and I said, no way I'm going out there. Because my perception now 
was that's a war zone. This is, this is a dangerous country out there. Whereas a few weeks ago, my perception of this summer was there weren't, there weren't many flies this year. And the reason my perception was like that before, because I wasn't going out into the woods. I was just staying in my room, going to the garden. And what that points to is just the way we build our world. We build a world through perceptions, and that's necessary, it's biological. Uh, so I'm looking out, and I, I'll water the plants tomorrow. And then I'll probably put on some DEET and uh, some kind of deer fly equipment. So my life is conditioned through my experiences, obviously. And then my perceptions of the world are conditioned by uh, what, I've, what I've encountered. It was interesting just to watch how my perception now of the garden was just slightly different than it was before this experience. So as human beings, we have the capacity to remember. It's important. And we build up a perception of the world, which is important for us to survive biologically. Uh, so there's that, that aspect of memory, memory of narrative, as narrative memory as uh, a building up of that which is skillful or useful or dangerous. Um, so that's one way we talk about memory. But also we have the capacity to recollect or to remember in the sense of knowing something. And that's the idea around the word sati or mindfulness. Um, or sati sampajanya, mindfulness, clear comprehension. This, this capacity we have to recollect, first and foremost, the way things are. So I'm, I'm standing by my window, I'm looking out at the trees, and the chipmunks and so on. And I, I not only have a perception that I, if I go out I may get bitten, but I can, see, I can recollect, I can know the present moment that I'm having this perception, that I'm interpreting life in this way, and that I'm making a decision now based upon my experience from yesterday. I'm deciding not to water the plants today. And that I can recollect that, I can observe that, I can remember to be present to the way things are. And that capacity to recollect the way things are gives me a certain amount of freedom. I can then notice that perception and then I can decide well, so how much do I want to invest in that perception how valuable is that interpretation how valuable is that memory how valid is that memory is it, is it something that will lead me to a uh, skillful and wholesome result or might it lead me to an unskillful unwholesome result so, I, so this capacity to recollect or know the way things are is very important in and the choices we make. So it's a kind of a freedom, kind of freedom. And it's not a, it's not a judgment that, you know, oh, you're such a wuss or you're dumb, oh, get out there and water the plants. That's, that's something I put onto it, so I could notice that too, if, I, if that came up. Let's say I, I, my, my mind said, oh, I'm not going to go out and water the plants. And then I added to that, to that perception of not wanting to go out, uh, a judgment, you wimp, get out there and water the plants. I could know that. Now, if I didn't know any of that, 
if I didn't recollect that as just a natural cause and effect of my interpretation of life, then I would be a victim. You know, so if I was a very heavy kind of self-critical kind of guy, I'd say, you whisk it out there, and I'd get out there, and then I'd maybe feel resentful, and oh, I have to water these plants. Why did we ever water these plants? And then I'd come back and feel resentful, and then I'd, because I'm the abbot, I'd get someone else to do it. <laughs> and so on and so forth. And you can see that's, that's a life lived with actually no freedom. No freedom at all. Just, just a kind of victim of circumstance, a victim of perceptions, bouncing around from one like a pinball game, right? Just bouncing around with no real freedom. And obviously, you know, we have we have a bit of both, I think. You know, we have we have the wisdom to recollect and sometimes we have the um, kind of negligent um, believing in this pinball game, the negligent just following impulses and ways we uh, don't understand or they're just so quick that we react to them so the, the, the necessity then to recollect the way things are is the sort of bottom line of, of Buddhist practice and we do say practice because Buddhism is a path and it's a, it's a way of living and it's, it's, a, um, it's a way of understanding so it's not just some kind of belief system it's a way of understanding yourself and specifically, what, what are the actions that I'm now engaged in? How skillful are they? Where are they going? Where are they going to take me? Um, so some of our perceptions, some of the way we've built up our own history, sometimes it's not seen very clearly. Sometimes it's biased by culture. Uh, and then we might react in ways we don't even understand or react in ways which are unskillful. So there's a story from my family, which I sometimes tell and... I'll have to check with my brother. Um, but from what I remember, my brother, um, as a kid, bit into a, an unpeeled banana. Bit into it, and it was a horrible taste. And apparently it took a, many, many years before the family could persuade him, well, if you peel it, it'll taste different. So his perception of banana was, yuck, I'm not going to eat that. I think someone snuck it in a sandwich or something, and, you know, that's not bad. So there's a perception that is built through ignorance, not understanding. Certainly, not peeling the banana is, is, is not ignorance, but not understanding that there's something understand, un, un, underneath it. So when we talk about ignorance in Buddhism, um, we're pointing to this misunderstanding. It's not ignorance in terms of being uh, having a low IQ or something like that, but it's actually uh, not understanding the way things are, not understanding the Dhamma. And, and so when we talk about the world, in, in, in Theravada Buddhism, when we talk about the world, sometimes you see in the text, the world arises and, uh, and ceases in this fathom-long body, in this body, in this sense body. The world arises and ceases in this sense body. And that's a different kind of a world than in a, a, a scientifically analyzed world or something like that, some kind of external scientific analysis it's our very personal world so each of us experience this day differently so as I was looking out to the garden anyone else looking out to the garden would have experienced different obviously so the world arises and ceases arises and ceases in, 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 in our conscious experience and so there's kind of many things to kind of contemplate about that but um, 
one of the things we, we look at, well, that the, the, the worldly dharmas, the worldly dharmas such as pleasure and pain, and success and failure, uh, praise and blame, good health, bad health, good fortune, bad fortune. We call these the, the worldly dharmas. And that these, the way the world shifts through my consciousness has that in it. It has, it has a kind of uh, affect on me. I came across this lovely, if I can remember, I was reading, reading a book on moral psychology, neo, neophilia and neophobia. So neophilia is that part of our makeup which is drawn towards something. And neophobia is that part of our makeup which is drawing away from something. And this comes from, I think the text said, from being omnivores. So as omnivores, we're, omnivores are always checking out what should I nibble and what should I not nibble? What should I consume and what should I not consume? What am I attracted to and what am I not attracted to? And in Buddhism we call that Vedana, this, this kind of fundamental thing about our conscious experiences that we are, that our, that our sense bodies, including our minds, are drawn to or tied to draw away from things. And this is, in each mind moment we would say has that. We're drawn to, we're drawn away. And that ha- has different intensities. So something which is really repellent to us, like uh, a rotting corpse, or feces, or open sores in human beings. Things like that are quite disgusting. And they're disgusting because they can contaminate. You know, if, 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 if we didn't have that capacity and we ate feces, we'd get, we'd get ill. Right? So, so we have, we have a very kind of biological things in us which are drawn towards and drawn away from. And each, each, each mind moment has that in it, greater or lesser intensity. And so our, 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 kind of our makeup then is try to try to maximize our uh, comfort and good health and uh, our, our, our uh, social supports and and our safety and all, all manner of things, right? So we're trying to maximize that as, as human beings. And then anything which is threatening, which is um, harmful, which can cause us illness, which can cause uh, social confusion, da-da-da-da-da, that we're trying to draw away from. And so we live our lives to a certain extent in that manner. So here as a community, um, we all try to uh, pitch in with the work, try to do our, our share, uh, we try to share in the food, and so on. And if, if someone was in the community and was very disruptive and, and didn't want to share and didn't want to work, then pretty soon socially we'd say, well, this isn't going to work. We'd find that repellent. You know? We'd find that offensive as a group, and we would address it. Address and say, no, this just can't work, can't go that way. So part of our life has lived on that manner, that what we call the worldly manner. And when we talk about the worldly dharma, success and failure, good fortune, bad fortune, happiness and unhappiness, good health, bad health, praise and blame, it's not that we're dismissing the worldly dharmas. We're not saying that they don't count, but they do count. You know, a, a, a decent diet does count. 
just to kind of live on sugary drinks and, and coffee for the rest of your life would be dumb. It would be harming this body. Uh, to live with no kind of social agreement would not, would not work. It would not work. So although harmony and disharmony is a worldly dharma, and we can't rely on it for liberation from suffering, we can try to live it. And that's what we do here, don't we? And it works quite well. We're, we're, lucky. we're lucky that we can actually uh, live those things out in that way. So without dismissing the worldly dharma, see that they have some importance, but they can't have ultimate importance because we can't control things. We can do our very best to create social institution and... and uh, schedules and agreements and and ways of speaking that we if we have disagreements we won't abuse each other with speech or that uh, that we try to develop good listening skills and so we you know that's just a decent way to live your life and that's the method we say that's the method that's a social method of getting beyond the social limitations of being a human being that's so let's say like right speech if I if I disagree with someone, uh, I can't just have a temper tantrum so that they will agree with me. And I said, I, I just couldn't do that, I couldn't do that, you couldn't possibly do that to me, some kind of, being some kind of drama king or queen. Because uh, we'd say, no, that's wrong speech. You have to be able to dialogue. So that method, that method of right speech is a way where I can watch my own selfishness, my own intimidation by someone, my own whatever it is, I can, I can watch within a framework, a social framework that the Buddha offers. The Buddha offers right speech as a social framework for communication. Speech which is truthful, speech which is in concord, speech which is beautiful, speech which uplifts, speech which is according to Dhamma, and uh, not speech which is lying, not speech which is divisive, not speech which is crude and, and offensive and not speech, which is just stupid. So I have this kind of framework within which I can watch right speech. And that helps me to be, to recollect what's going on in my conscious experience. So the, the form of right speech helps me to recollect the way the world arises and ceases in this fathom long body. So I can see that if I'm, if I disagree with someone and I just want my way and then I just try to coerce them or dominate them, if I'm honest, then I notice that I say, oh, what has arisen in consciousness now is a certain type of ego which is not happy, which is not um, not according to the principles the Buddha suggested, and I can observe that as an object. And from that I have some freedom, don't I? Okay? I don't necessarily have emotions and personality traits which are somehow perfect. No, but now I can watch my tendency to want to dominate someone or my, t- my tendency to be just intimidated by someone. I can, I can see that as an object and that gives me freedom. I can recollect, oh, this is just a perception. This is just a, an emotional construct which has arisen according to causes and conditions. And now that gives me some freedom. Right? And if I, if I get good at it, then I'll restrain myself, refrain from using speech which follows that habit, and I'll encourage myself to use speech which actually uh, balances that out in some kind of wholesome way. And so that whole leaning, 
that whole leaning towards, let's say, domineering arrogance that I might have, right? I can see that, and that leaning is powerful. It's more powerful than my rational mind because it's been conditioned into me through various familial, cultural, social, gender kinds of reasons. Right? So that leaning is very hard. It's really hard to, to you know, I, I can say to myself, oh, don't be such an arrogant whatever, but push comes to shove, maybe that's the way I get my way. That's what I've always done. So now I, and, you know, I'm using right speech and this, this kind of capacity to recollect how ego arises, how the sense of self arises within other people, not as a judgment, but just, just wow, look at that. Look at that leaning towards trying to dominate someone and get my way. And I, be, I get really good at noticing that. I get really good at noticing that particular construct. And, I, and, and from that, I, I, I start to make choices. Well, really, I don't want to live that way. You know, I really, that's not really skillful because I, I have no freedom there. I'm always just reacting that way. It's not a judgment. It's an evaluation based on recollection, based on wisdom, based on care. And I said, well, I'm just, I'm going to notice this now. And I'm going to try not to act and speak that way. And that creates intention. Right? So we say, with right understanding, there is right intention. Or with right understanding, there is right thought. So now my thought around this particular uh, characteristic, which is maybe built up in my mind for, for many decades, um, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be that way. I'm just seeing it as dharma. Right? This is the dharma of domineering arrogance, say. And this is what it feels like. So now it's become an object rather than me be the subject of it. And because it's an object, there's the freedom, and then there's the possibility to make intention. And the intention is, I'm going to really understand this characteristic and see when, and, and make choices which are skillful around this particular characteristic. Um, not even say I shouldn't be that way. Just say, what, what kind of choices would lead to an end to suffering here? And that, and I have to make that intention very strong. And the stronger I make that intention, and the stronger I make the intention to recollect the way things are, those two, I make an intention around my particular personality, I make an intention to wake up to the way things are, I become an adept. I become an adept about my own psyche, about my own suffering, and how to get out of that suffering. I get, I get really good at it. I get really, really good at it. Um... And I don't get fooled by it. It might come up, it might come up a boring number of times, a disappointing number of times, but each time it comes up, I go, oh, that's a, that's a way of perceiving. So just as now, I look out the window, and I perceive the garden now as a bit of a war zone. As a bit of, I can know that. Now, if I don't know that, like let's, let's take this as a silly example, and then I think, I can't go out there. So I have a memory of a bad experience, and then I take that memory, and now I interpret life again through that same memory. And what do I do? I compound it. I can't go out there. I can't go out there. I can't go out there. I'm making it absurd, but that's what would happen. If I take a certain memory, and I reinforce that memory, and I reinforce that memory, that becomes the reality. It's only part of the reality, a very minor part, but because now I'm heedless... I'm not mindful. I've taken this one experience, and now I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just reinforcing it as a reality. 
and then four years later I haven't left my room. <laughs> I'm totally frightened. I have to phone Chunda, bring me breakfast. <laughs> I can't go to lunch. That's absurd, but that's what happens with memory. But we don't see memory as memory. And you, you know, you think about like things like, you know, when you've been hurt by something or someone or, or uh, uh, let's say, uh, racial prejudices or gender prejudices or, like, like let's say, we just heard that um, somewhere on the news, I guess it was in Ottawa, there were a couple of monkish-looking types walking ar- around Ottawa soliciting funds in a rather aggressive and obnoxious way. And apparently there was some program where our friend Andre was talking about that. wasn't us. <laughs> it was some charlatan who put on robes and was trying to make quick buck. Okay? In Buddhism we'd say, not good karma. <laughs> but anyway, so now I go to town and someone sees me and has seen that program right? Or has actually encountered someone like that, and they see me, there he is, charlatan, charlatan monk. So his perception of me, then each time he sees me, there he is, get away. He creates a world. He creates a world of, of, of uh, bias. But that, but that perception is necessary because he might get ripped off, right? He might get hurt because he's just seen that happen. But if we can't check into our perceptions, and quite often our perceptions are built up in ways we're not even aware, cultural, gender, um, race, all kinds of things get built up. So the Buddha's recommendations are, are, are really quite simple in the, in the try to build the perceptions of, of, of connection, of empathy. Try to build... You think about what... What are, the, what are the perceptions and ways of relating to the world which free us? And the Buddha would say, forgiveness, compassion, um, peaceful coexistence of the way things are, gratitude, generosity. Yeah, these are the things the Buddha encouraged. Yeah? And then the others, uh, paranoia, fearfulness, uh, biases, hatred, resentments, uh, lack of forgiveness. And, you know, we all have these lists. Those will always alienate you. So then as I'm, I'm, I'm practicing and, and, and noticing the way things are, I also notice what's the background, what's the mood, what's, what is the interpretation now of life, where is it coming from? So I'm looking at the window at the garden, and what's my interpretation of the garden? It's aversion. It's aversion to deerfly. Now that aversion is not bad. You know, it's telling me, be careful, cover up. But if I don't see that aversion, and let's say that aversion is around a person, or a race, or a gender, or a certain situation, or, uh, you know, like, like sometimes in Buddhism, we get these different schools of Buddhism. And, 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 and people will have, make these huge kind of statements. So this person is from Theravada, and they are the lesser vehicle. So we'll get that kind of pejorative, uh, like like Hinayana, that we are lesser kind of beings. And I'll, you know, in our, our tradition, then we'll look at Mahayana and think, bah, we're Theravada, we're the old school, we're pure. 
And it's silly, isn't it? But that'll happen. That'll happen. But if I see that, if I see those things coming up, we see, where is it? Where are those things based in? They're based in fear. They're based in aversion. They're based in bias. They're based in prejudice. And so, quite simply, the more we are cultivating things of connectedness, like empathy, uh, and we feel that, we feel how empathy and forgiveness and those things really liberate the mind from suffering, any manifestation of aversion, of alienation, begins to be known as a source of suffering. I I was talking to someone about... uh, a friend of theirs who had had uh, a couple of abortions and now was regretting it. And uh, a lot of remorse and regret were coming up into this person's mind, into this lady's mind. And that's a very powerful memory, isn't it? Very powerful. But it's just a memory. One time Ajahn Sumedho was... uh, Someone came to him who had had an abortion, and this was ten years later, and she asked him, what's, what's my karma? What's my karma? What's the karmic result of having that abortion? He said, well, the karmic result right now is that you're worried. You're frightened. You have regret and remorse. And he said, just know that. And then from now on, practice compassion. And that was a very beautiful, rather than some kind of Buddhist thing about rebirth or da 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 he's just saying well, that's, that's the way it is memory works that way you know you did this you were young you, you didn't know and now you have this result you have this regret remorse and know that right now and then where does that take you does that take you to self-hatred or can you take it to may I be free from suffering may this being be free from suffering can you take it to compassion and empathy and if we are kind of in tune with these the ways we are the world is arising and ceasing in consciousness. And we are in tune with, 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 uh, with what is wholesome and unwholesome, and these kind of underlying energies, these moods of the mind, which we call the, the jitta, jitanopasana, the mindfulness of the mood of the mind. We recollect the mood of the mind. Then we'll see, well, this is skillful, this is unskillful, and we'll incline towards that which is really a lib- liberates us from suffering. So when we talk about sati, sampajanya, or... or recollection of the way things are. It's not just physical, and it's not just the narrative, it's the, the tone, the jitta, the type, of, the type of mind which is now interpreting life in this way. So tomorrow morning I'll look out my window and I'll see, ah, you've got to water the flowers. <laughs> but at least hopefully I'll just know, oh, this is aversion, this is not aversion. And then if I feel aversion, I can go and water the flowers and just notice, like as soon as a fly comes near me, you know, whatever comes up, I'm aware. I'm aware of the way things are. And this is where freedom lies, doesn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't lie in getting the world perfect, because we can never do that. Uh, we have to be careful. We have to use this capacity we have to remember and to be careful. But our, our freedom lies in this, in this larger capacity to know change, and to adapt to change, to, to see cause and effect, and to make the causes for peace in the future. And that's our sort of our gift as humans, isn't it? We have that. It's an incredible possibility. All right, I'll leave that for your reflection.